Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Max Minute, where we subject nyctophobics to their worst nightmare on this spookiest day of the year with Mad Max 2 The Road Warrior, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today, on Halloween, we are talking about Minute 42, which begins with Bearclaw Mohawk looking for the thing that made the noise, and it ends with Max picking up his gas cans to keep moving. Happy Halloween, Julia! I will take the bait. What is nyctophobia? So, nyctophobia is an intense fear of darkness. This Ah. minute takes place entirely in darkness. Yes. Very appropriate, given that it is October 31st, the day that the United States celebrates All Hallows' Eve. Is that an American holiday, or is it do other countries celebrate it? You know, I don't know. Well, it is celebrated in other countries around the world. So now I'm going to look up specifically if it's celebrated in Australia. Sight unseen. I'm going to take a guess that Halloween is observed in Australia because All Hallows Eve springs from the observance of November 1st, All Saints Day, which is a Christian observance. I want to say Catholic in nature. So I found an article... And if I had done more research, I would not use this article as a reference because it's poorly written. So it's from HuffPost Australia and it says, yes, Australians celebrate Halloween, but not nearly in the same way and with the same zeal, perhaps, that Americans do. It notes that Aussies are usually reluctant to knock on people's doors at the best of times. My sense of Australians is that they're very friendly. So why why would they be afraid to knock on each other's doors? That just seems odd to me. So Australian listeners, let us let us know about how you, how you feel about knocking on each other's doors. Uh, it also notes a difference is that Australian costumes tend to focus on blood, gore, and ghouls, while the United States, we've really gotten away from that. And you can dress up as anything, absolutely anything. There's no theme of costumes really anymore in America. That reminds me of a sketch from an episode of SNL where they have a a costume warehouse and the guy's like, I got costumes of all kinds. Sexy ketchup. Sexy fireman. Sexy policeman. Sexy nurse. (laughs) Sexy labradoodle. Sexy fire truck. And it's just, he puts sexy in front of everything else and it feels like that's a trend that's really exploded as of recently. I like this. This is cool. America... America could take this this uh, tradition. A relatively new Australian Halloween tradition is to leave an orange balloon at the front of your house if you're happy for trick-or-treaters to bang on your door. Uh, no balloon equals no treats. So that's kind of cool. I like the idea of a marker like that. I know that traditionally, if your porch light is on, it means that you're welcoming trick-or-treaters. If it's off, it means no. And I also know that there is a thing that some neighborhoods do where you put out a certain color balloon and it means that you have treats that cater to certain allergies. Like if you put out a blue balloon, it means that none of your treats have any sort of nuts in them whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Things like that. 
so that parents know what to expect from different houses. And if they have food allergies or any dietary restrictions at all, they know where to go and where not to go. I'm reading a separate article on thebordermail.com. They're very adamant that Halloween is a very foreign concept to Australia. It has its roots in Celtic tradition, and it's just something that is starting to take root, but it's one of those things that probably not all Australians are happy that this very American-feeling thing is coming over to their country. That's kind of the sentiment that I expect to hear in the listeners group. It's interesting to think about that because coming from the region of the country that we live in here in the United States, our area has a very rich tradition in witches and evil spirits and all sorts of googly moogly things like that <laughs> just down the road from us back in the 1600s witches galore and they were hanging people left and right yeah for any old reason well i mean it was a very specific reason but the reason they were accused were the things that changed yes the results were very often the same salem massachusetts is Halloween Central. Fun fact about witches, a lot of people associate the witch trials with the town of Salem, but if you go up the Merrimack River, you'll find a little place called Lowell, Massachusetts, and back during the explosion of the witch trials, they actually hung more witches than any other town in the state. I know you and I have had this conversation independently of the podcast as to why Salem became so famous for their witch trials while Lowell did not. I think we came to the conclusion that Salem has so much more to offer than just the witch trials. The Peabody Essex Museum is just gorgeous and one of our favorite places to go. Yep. And there's the House of the Seven Gables, and they have a very, very rich maritime history. So they just have so much going for them that the PR machine is like, all right, well, let's let's give them one more thing yep. to be famous for. So now it's huge in Salem. Yep. So if you are ever in northeastern Massachusetts around this time of year, and you want to be surrounded by a huge crowd of people all celebrating Halloween, <laughs> go to Salem. Getting back to the minute at hand, because we have been talking at length about Halloween, we rejoin Bearclaw Mohawk, who has stepped away from his camp, and he is investigating the noise that he heard when Max fell into the ditch. Yes, he is tromping noisily <laughs> to the edge of the ditch. I don't think he's trying to sound louder with his steps than he normally is. I think because it is so quiet and that's the only thing that we're hearing, that's why it sounds so loud. I will give you that. I don't want to say that he's a clumsy, heavy-footed, upstairs apartment neighbor. I I do. <laughs> okay, we'll agree to disagree. <laughs> Throughout this minute, the way that he reacts to things, and we'll, we'll go over that. The way that he reacts to things, I just don't think is very bright. I'll keep that in mind as we observe what he does in this minute, but I okay. definitely have my alternative to suggest when we get to that point. Yes. Bearclaw Mohawk walks almost to the edge of the gully, and he is looking around. He's keeping his eyes pretty much on the horizon. He's not thinking of looking down right in front of him. He's thinking that whatever he heard is somewhere out 
in the darkness. And so he is surveying the area around the camp because the loud rattling of jerry cans could mean some sort of improvised incendiary attack. Maybe the compound dwellers have snuck out under cover of darkness and they're going to throw giant Molotov cocktails and something like that would be very bad. And so he's probably looking for a different situation than the situation that he currently finds himself in. And the situation he finds himself in is that Max is just a couple feet below him in the ditch with his knife ready. That's exactly my point. Does he know there's a ditch there? He might. He might not. Did he just, did he happen to stop at the edge coincidentally? Or does he know there's a ditch? Because I swear, if he knows there's a ditch and he didn't look down into the ditch, then my opinion of him dropped another couple of points. It's hard to say exactly. I'm willing to bet that he knows the ditch is there but he probably doesn't think too much of it. Don't start rooting too hard for him to find Max. No, I'm rooting for my opinion to be correct, that he's not that bright. And you're helping me. Thank you. So Bearclaw is standing at roughly the edge of this ditch. Mm -hmm. He's looking out into the distance, and suddenly he hears a wild dog's howl. And we cut down to Max because he hears it too. And Max turns his head. And wouldn't you know it, the little scamp, the feral child, is sitting several meters away from Max at the edge of the ditch, probably behind a bush, I think it is. It's dark. It's kind of hard to see. And he is making a howling wild dog noise with his mouth. He's being a little clever with it by adjusting the volume of his howl, kind of making it sound like it's a little further away. He's not howling at full volume. Right. He's making it sound like there's more than one dog. Yeah. Which, yes, is very clever because, yes, one dog is scary. Well, to someone like me, one dog is scary because I'm kind of scared of dogs. But to Bearclaw, one dog is not scary. Right. A pack of wild dogs is scary. Mm-hmm. to someone like Bearclaw. So the feral child wants Bearclaw to think there is a pack of wild dogs. Dogs like the commonly found dingo, which is probably what the feral child is seeking to emulate. Side note, growing up, I always thought a dingo was a slang word for a kangaroo. No idea why I thought that. Probably because a kangaroo was the only Australian animal that I knew. I didn't know that there was another animal called a dingo, so I just assumed that a dingo was a kangaroo. You probably didn't wake up in the morning and watch Jack Hanna's Animal Adventure show, did you? No, I didn't watch any animal shows. It was uh, Jack Hanna's Animal Adventures, it was Crocodile Hunter, it was Zaboomafu, which is a PBS show. Oh, I know Involving that a sock puppet lemur and a couple of brothers. I want to say the Krat brothers? I don't remember. The Dingo, Canis Dingo or Canis Lupus Dingo, is a type of feral dog native to Australia. It is the largest terrestrial predator in Australia and plays an important role as an apex predator. If they were a bit more of an apex predator, they could probably help out with that giant camel herd problem, but... I thought you were going to say... Help out with the emu problem. Oh, yeah. Emus are are an issue, too. Yes. But that's a whole other thing. You want to have an interesting time reading about animals. Read about emus and their relationship to the Australian military. That's a good time. I know I push this podcast a lot. Stuff you missed in history class. They did an episode on... The Great Emu War. While dingoes are often a threat to livestock, their depredation of rabbits, kangaroos, and rats can be a net benefit to pastoralists and is considered a cultural icon by some Australians. I have a question about dingoes. Compare the size of a dingo to 
an animal, a dog that I may know so that I can have a frame of reference. So the average weight of a dingo is about 13 to 20 kilograms or 29 to 44 pounds. Males are typically larger and heavier than females of the same age. The ones found in the northern and northwestern Australia are usually larger than those found in central and southern populations. I asked that question because you said that it was the largest apex predator in Australia. Yep. That seems small compared to the large apex predators that you think about on other continents. Like bears like here in the, North America? Right, like the big cats and bears. It seems curious that their largest apex predator is so small. So dingoes have three basic forms of howling, broken down into moans, bark howls, and snuffs, with at least ten variations. Usually three kinds of howls are distinguished, long and persistent, rising and ebbing, and short and abrupt. Observations have shown that each kind of howling has several variations, though their purpose is largely unknown. The frequency of howling varies with the season and time of day, and it's also influenced by things like breeding, migration, lactation, social stability, and dispersal behavior. Howling can be more frequent in times of food shortage because the dogs become more widely distributed within their home range. So in a situation like a giant horde rolls into town and takes over an area, you're probably going to hear more howling as these dingo packs are starting to spread out to try and find what food isn't being taken by raiders. The feral child's choice to howl like a dingo. I'm assuming he's doing a fairly convincing dingo howl. I didn't actually look up any audio clips of the animals howling to compare it up against. His choice to do that is incredibly intelligent because you can hear in the background later on this minute a little bit next minute there's more howling going on his howling is actually eliciting responses from wild dogs in the area and i mean we even heard yesterday a little bit of howling in the distance yes so the feral child was probably able to pick up on that being feral and spending time out in the wasteland that he could do that type of diversion and it would fit right into the landscape the marauders were probably hearing those howls so realized that there was a pack nearby and so being led to think that there was a pack so close made perfect sense mm -hmm. i like the inclusion of the feral child in this scene it pretty much explains why this is included in the story this exact interaction because as we know the feral child is the narrator from the end of the movie we were talking about that back in like minute 25 this is included in the story and i mentioned this yesterday because it's an instance of the feral child saving max he included it in the story to show the people that are listening how he personally helped the road warrior save everybody in the compound yes he's including it in the story not for max's glorification or embarrassment <laughs> but for his own exactly yesterday we talked for a few minutes about credibility i think this falls under that same category the feral child his future self is the leader of a group of people a clan he needs to remain that leader he needs to have power he needs to be able to exert that power and part of keeping that power is credibility being part of this story gives him that credibility like look i did useful things i saved the life of the road warrior he's been there since day one yes i had some other thoughts about the howling this may seem like a silly question but humor me and Maybe we'll answer it. Do you think that the howling was really done by a male Mindy? I, yeah, you think, I think it's so. really him and I, not like a sound effect that was put uh, in post? I absolutely think it's him because okay. you spend any amount of time around young boys 
yeah. that know that howling is a thing. Very true. Those kids are going to try howling for themselves. Yes. And with a little bit of practice, they can sound this good because he sounded really good. Okay. I have no wow. doubt at all. Really? I thought you were going to give me the opposite answer. Nope. And I thought I was going to feel silly for wondering if it was him. Nope. There is no doubt in my mind that this is actually a meal minty. Okay. My next question. Can the feral child do any other animal noises? <laughs> Do you think? Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I don't know what other animals are out there. So I don't know examples. I mean, I know rabbits are out there, but rabbits don't make a noise. So that doesn't apply. Uh, kangaroos. I don't think they really have a noise that they make. They've got to have some sort They've of They've got to have some but... sort of like vocalization. Yeah. I'm not an expert in animal noises. Do you think... That the feral child can mimic the noise of a kangaroo, whatever noise that is. I, I, I can't answer that question. Okay. I, I, well, I don't I'm know. Well, I'm going to YouTube. You're going to look up what a kangaroo sounds like? Yes. Yes, I am. Okay. You do that. Um, I ask this question because this is an incredibly useful skill to have when you hang out in the outback. For your own safety. I can understand kangaroo. wanting to sound like a dingo, a wild dog, an apex predator. Because if you sound like an apex predator, things that are not apex predators will leave you alone. Yes. Okay. I'm going to play. Okay. We're going to try this one. What? Is that a kangaroo? Yes. It's like a grunting growl. Oh, that is very aggressive sounding. Can I... I don't know if Emil Minty could, uh... Maybe as a grown man, when his voice, like, deepens... Yeah. And he has, like, more power to his voice, he could make noises like that. So, I think the answer to your original question was, maybe someday. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let me look at my notes, see if I had any other questions about the howling. I mean, if you want to talk about the howling, that's a completely other movie series. And they don't even go it's... to Australia until the third one, so... No, I had no other questions about the howling, specifically. The Feral Child is is effectively distracting Bearclaw Mohawk from finding Max. And at one point, we get a wide shot of what is going on here. You see Emil Minty as the feral child off to the left. You see Guy Norris as Bearclaw Mohawk off to just right of center. And then literally a couple of feet down from Bearclaw Mohawk is where Max is sitting. And if you adjust the gamma to be able to see it, it's remarkable how close everybody is in this scene and how easy it would be for Bearclaw Mohawk to just hop down into the gully and be right next to Max, close enough to get stabbed, which I guess is Max's plan. Yeah, because if Max fell in the ditch, him being Max and being, you know, skilled and, and wonderful and all Mary Sue-ish, if he fell in the ditch, then there's really no reason for other people not to fall in the ditch. The feral child keeps up the charade. He keeps howling. And in this wide shot, we see Bearclaw Mohawk and he Reaches down, grabs a rock, picks it up. With his bear claw. And just throws it out into the night. Yeah, he chucks it pretty good. With the idea of scaring away dogs, obviously. Yes. And I like what the feral child does. He ducks down behind that bush he's hiding in, and he goes quiet. I think it's at that point that you can actually hear some more howling in the background further away. I believe Bearclaw Mohawk 
is satisfied that he has scared away the animals that were outside the camp. And so, because he doesn't want to continue looking and he would rather hang out by the fire, I think that's what motivates him to go back to the fire. Not so much him being dim or not clever. I think he just would rather not traipse around in the dark. I think he's more lazy than dumb. I'm okay with the thought that he would rather hang out by the fire than find out what's going on in the dark. I can't go along with thinking that he's lazy. Mostly because of his hair. His hair and head in general take a lot of upkeep, and a lazy person would not do that. Now, I will counter. We're going to see in one of next week's minutes that there is someone in the raider camp who will go mohawk to mohawk and shave the side of their heads. We're going to see it specifically with Wes. Max is going to get the rig, he's going to fire it up, he's going to start heading back to the compound, and we're going to see Wes getting his head shaved, and he's going to hear the rig, he's going to motion the the head shaver guy to back off with the razor but yeah okay they don't shave their own so heads they, they have someone do... else to do it for them okay that does that does go along with your lazy opinion not that your opinion is lazy my opinion of him being lazy yes is what's important i'm still kind of thinking that he's just not that bright i think there were a couple of points at which he was duped that he should not have been duped yeah he should have looked down into the ditch. The feral child and the howling. He did such a good job with the howling, but Bearclaw should have been suspicious about where the howling was coming from. I think he should have investigated further. He walked from the camp to the ditch and then back. He didn't even walk around so he could see the other side of the bush. Nothing. Yeah, I think he's a little dim. Well, I like I said I before. I think he's, he's the muscle. We'll agree to disagree on yes, this one. No, that's totally fine. With Bearclaw Mohawk turning around and going back to camp, the feral child looks down at Max. Max looks up at the feral child, and the feral child does this kind of thing where he, he motions with his head, kind of like, go, move, now. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I think that's a level of unspoken communication we haven't really seen before. We've seen the feral child doing some like general motions, but it's never been so clear what he means as right now. Oh, something I wanted to mention, kind of wondering how the feral child got there so quickly at the same time Max did and nobody heard him or anything. Now, of course, he's like super stealthy because he's a kid who was raised in the way Land. The screenplay indicates that the hole that Max fell into was a rabbit hole. Oh. So, of course, that's where the feral child came from, was the rabbit hole. Gotcha. Max also didn't fall into a ditch. He tripped over the rabbit hole and was, like, laying flat on the ground. Oh, that's a completely different situation. Yes. That would have made for a very different scene. Yes. We wrap up this minute with Max sheathing his knife and standing to pick up the gas cans once more. In tomorrow's minute, we're going to see him get moving, get away from that camp. We're going to have a little Lord of the Rings moment as he crests a ridge, and we're going to keep on traveling with him. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 4. 42 of the Road Warrior. See you tomorrow.